the last days. How many are excited about it? Four people. How, who's scared? How many know that you don't have to be scared? In fact, that's what Jesus says in Matthew 24. He says, but don't panic. Don't worry. In fact, Jesus tells us this many times. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Be not afraid. Don't panic. Well, we are talking about the last days, and, and, um, and there's a reason why Jesus tells us not to panic, and here's why. Because if you're a Christian, if you, are, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you would declare today, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, then here's what you need to know. You have the Holy Spirit. Can I say it again? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have the Holy Spirit, you've got nothing to be afraid of. Because God is with you and he's in you. And he is going to walk with you and he's going to help you uh, through every single thing that you go through. And folks, the church has been relying on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit since day one. For 2,000 years, Christians around the world have trusted in Jesus and Jesus has helped them through. And you think Jesus is going to let us down now? Nowhere in my studies in the last day do I find anything that says, oh, when we get to the last days, Jesus, you're on your own. <laughs> doesn't say that anywhere. Jesus is on your side. Jesus loves you. How many know that you and God are a majority? You know that? You and God, are, you've got everything you need if you have Christ. So I want you to know today as we, as we talk about these things that you don't have to be afraid, that you can rejoice and be glad that Jesus Christ is with you. You're not alone. Lo, I am with you always. Now, I've been talking about some of the signs of the last days. In fact, uh, Jesus, in his Olivet Discourse, we find it in Matthew 24, we find it in Mark 13, and in Luke 21. The Olivet Discourse was the, was the, the teaching that Jesus gave his disciples concerning the last days. And uh, Mark, Luke, and Matthew all all have, um, have a, a version of that, and uh, including all of the details. So uh, obviously those early apostles uh, would have communicated the teachings of Christ, and those teachings would have been written down by various men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, but Jesus tells us that there's going to be a, a number of things that happen in the last days. And uh, he says, now learn a lesson from the fig tree when its branches bud... This is, this is Matthew 24, verse 32. Learn a lesson from the fig tree when its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, and you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, uh, you, uh, when you see all these things happen, you can know his return is very near right at the door. And I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. Now, the interesting thing about this, folks, um, just that last verse, no one knows the day or the hour, uh, theologians and pastors and Christians uh, really haven't set dates until just recently. It's a recent phenomena uh, in the church because for, for, for literally centuries, nothing was happening eschatologically. There were no signs that the end was near. There would be wars, and, and people would be frightened and scared. And, you know, Hitler 
When, when World War I was happening, people said, oh, yeah, this must be the end. And when World War II happened and Hitler rose up, people thought that he was the Antichrist. But um, it was right around that time when people started thinking about the future, predicting when Jesus would return. But it wasn't until May 14, 1948, that, that the whole area of eschatology and end times really, really broke out. It's a huge a huge theological study. It's a great field of study. And people started setting dates and trying to figure out when it was going to happen. And, um, and some of you read books like that. And maybe, you know, it was been 30, 30 years ago that you read Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth. Anybody ever heard of that? And really, Hal Lindsey has really been the one that's sort of led the way in terms of discussing uh, the end times. And some of his ideas, you know, eh, uh, some of them are really good. But here's what you need to know. God, God was not going to do anything in terms of the end times until Israel was reestablished. One pastor said that Israel is God's prophetic timepiece. You know what God's going to do on the earth based on what happens in Israel. So Jesus says there's all kinds of signs. The greatest sign, of course, is the birth of Israel, but there's other signs. Um, one of the signs, of course, is the pestilence and disease. And here's a picture. This is from, from the Congo. And uh, this is somebody, uh, actually one of the workers that are uh, helping amidst the great Ebola outbreak. I don't know if anybody has heard about this. This is like really fresh, fresh uh, off the print. November the 12th, 2018, just a few days ago, the, the, the Congo, they say, quote, facing the worst Ebola outbreak in the country's history. And in case you don't know, Ebola is a, is a very frightening disease. You start bleeding internally and externally. You start bleeding out of all your pores and out of all your orifices. And, and it's very, very painful, a very scary disease. And um, the people that, that work uh, trying to control this sort of thing, it's a, it's a, it's a great nightmare for them. Because they say, just take somebody who's, who's got the disease, gets on an airplane, and now spread it all over the world. Um, very, very dangerous. And Jesus says, this is what's happening in the last days. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, but there's been outbreaks in the past. But, but here's what's different, is, it, is, is the frequency now of these outbreaks and how quickly it's spreading and actually how terrible it is. As it says here, it's the worst outbreak in the country's history. And then some of you, of course, will know what's happening in California right now, even as we speak. Uh, massive, massive forest fires. In fact, they're saying that uh, this is the worst ever in the history of California. And uh, they've got 50% of it under control, which is really quite frightening. They say that there's uh, over 13,000 buildings destroyed, and uh, many of those would be people's homes. And it's a beautiful area of California, so these are very, very expensive homes. Uh, There was a trailer park totally wiped out. Um, What else? $17 billion. That's the cost. In 2017, for the forest fires, the, the bill hasn't come in for this one yet. So we're looking at billions and billions of dollars. And, and you have to ask yourself the question, who pays for all this? And, and can, is this sustainable? Can we keep on paying for this? Well, not us, but the Americans. And, uh, and you know that they've just had a number of, uh, of terrible, terrible hurricanes go through. A c- category 5, once-in-a-lifetime. The, the once-in-a-lifetime hurricanes have been happening uh, once and sometimes twice a year for the last few years. It's, it's, uh, it really is quite frightening. 
Um, but here's one that I thought was so, so timely. Um, keep in mind, folks, that this is all hot off the press. This has just, just happened. Like This happened last week and week before. Uh, when, I, when God put in my heart to talk about the end times, I mean, I had no idea that this was going to happen, and I can assure you that I didn't arrange to have this happen. <laughs> just to make sure you get that. Thanks for laughing at my jokes, Adam. I always like it when Adam sits there and laughs at my jokes. But here's the one that's really, really amazing. Um, last week, oh, there's a, there's a, that's California, the aftermath. Nothing left. Last, last week, some of you may or may not know it, but the, Hamas attacked Israel, sent over 460 rockets into Israel from Gaza. And um, Israel has what they call the Iron Dome, which protects Israel against these attacks. Now, some still get through. And we say Iron Dome, we don't mean a literal Iron Dome, but they call it that because it's their defense system that protects the country from these attacks. Now, the interesting thing is if you Google it, uh, it, Wikipedia actually has a page on uh, the, attacks on, uh, the, the attacks on Israel, November of 2018. And what it shows, it shows that Israel attacked the Palestinians, not vice versa. It shows a picture of, of uh, an Israeli helicopter firing uh, a missile. That's the picture. But it was Gaza that attacked Israel. So I'm going to tell you, the whole media, the whole world is anti-Israel. And I'm going to show you in a, reason, in, a, in a few minutes the reason for this. Why is Israel under attack the way it is? But Jesus said this is exactly what would happen in the last days. There would be wars and rumors of wars. And at the, at the very center of these end times, we find Israel. It's critical that you watch Israel, that you pay attention to what's happening in Israel. So today we're going to talk about our relationship to Israel, what we can learn from all of this. But um, uh, here's what Jesus says in Luke 21, 10 to 11. Now remember, this is still the Olivet Discourse. We're talking Matthew 24, but but Luke 21, they're the same. Jesus says, nation will go to war against nation. We're seeing that happen right now. And kingdom against kingdom. We're seeing, we're seeing Russia posturing right now and declaring that, that the reign of the U.S. over the world is coming to an end. I don't know if anybody saw that. That was what Putin said this past week. It's, 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 it's almost over. It's almost done. Those are his exact words. And some of you know that America has been sort of the, the world's policeman and, and trying to keep peace in the world. And the reason they do it, by the way, is not just for altruistic reasons, but because America uh, understands that when there's peace in the world, there's, there's great economic advance. There's a great economic advantage to keeping peace in the world. So Russia is against America, and North Korea against South Korea, and North Korea against America, America, and it just goes on. And you see this, and it's constantly in the news. And, and America now has, has just introduced... Uh, uh, very, um, uh, very strong sanctions against Iran. Some of you may know about that. Uh, Iran, meanwhile, is saying that as soon as they get the chance, they're going to wipe Israel off the map. Uh, this is not new. War against uh, nations will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes. Some of you know that just a month or two ago, uh, Indonesia experienced a terrible tsunami that was caused by an earthquake that happened nearby. And again, hundreds and hundreds died because of the earthquakes. 
And again, these are things that we're seeing happen far more frequently. Again, research it yourself. You'll see. You'll see that there's a massive increase in the number of earthquakes. Uh, there will be famines, and some of the famines will be because of a shortage of food. I just saw an article recently that said there's not enough vegetables and fruit in the world to feed the world. But there's also famines because of political reasons. And uh, you may have heard what's happening in Yemen. Half the country is starving to death for political reasons. It's not that there's a lack of food, but for political reasons. There will be plagues in many lands. I just showed you what happened in the Congo with with the outbreak of Ebola. And they say that there's more to come. And there will be terrifying things. The earth, the earthquakes, uh, the the forest fires that's happening in California. And they say the forest fires that we've seen in California, it's just the start. There's far more to come. And there'll be great miraculous signs from heaven. And we're waiting for that. But I can tell you it's coming. Now, what you need to know is that the center, the very core of all of this discussion about the last days is Israel. Israel really is the prophetic key to the, uh, to the whole conversation about the last days. If Israel was not a nation yet, then we could not really uh, talk about the last days as something that would be imminent. Um, but, but we do know it's imminent. We do know Jesus is coming again, and it's coming, he's coming soon. Now, I know that some of you are sitting here skeptical because you've been hearing this for years. Uh, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. I've heard that so many times. Can I remind you of something? If you're a student of the Scriptures, you know that, there, that, that the talk of Jesus' second coming, it, it, there's at least 90 verses on the subject. This is, this is a common, common theme throughout the New Testament. And furthermore, and, and this is really what I want to talk about today, is the rebirth of Israel. And we find uh, there's at least 50, maybe 60 verses, and most of it, all of it is prophetic about the rebirth of Israel. Now, if somebody had said uh, 100 years ago that Israel will be reborn, nobody would believe it. And here's why. You ready for this? Because in 70 AD, when Rome conquered Jerusalem and conquered Israel, Israel ceased to be. There was no such thing as Israel after 70 AD. The people of Israel, they were dispersed throughout the world. They literally could be found in every country. Um, and there's still many Jewish people in, in many of the hostile nations against Israel that are still in, in many Middle Eastern countries. But 100 years ago, if you said that Israel would be reborn, everybody would laugh at you. Because it was as unlikely as, for instance, Sumer being reestablished as a country. It's an ancient dead country. There's no way that, that, that we would see the Babylonian Empire, for instance, or the Sumerian uh, uh, people re- resurface, or, um, or the Medes and the Persians. It's, those days are over. That's ancient history. But the prophecy in Scripture says that, that, that Israel will be born again. And so there was really no talk for about 1,900 years, no talk about Jesus' return. People, when it comes to Revelation, it's like, yeah, I don't really get that, but I guess we don't need to talk about that, because what is that about anyway? But I'll tell you, May 14, 1948, that was a game changer. Because suddenly, all the scholars understood, hey, we've just experienced a seismic shift in the spiritual realm. Things are about to change. When Israel became a nation, suddenly we we realized this was it. And Jesus said, you'll know when the end is near, when you see the fig tree 
bud and sprout its leaves, then you know that the summer's here and you know that the end has begun. So here's what you need to know, what I need to know. We are living in the end times. And when Jesus comes now, we, we just finished saying, we don't know the day of the hour, but we know it will be soon, according to Scripture. Now, let's just take again uh, just another look at Israel for a moment because you need to see what a miracle this is. For 1,900 years, these people are, are spread throughout the world, and then suddenly God calls them all back home. He gathers people, and this is all, listen, folks, it's prophetic. It's, it's in the Scriptures, the, all the Old Testament. You said, I don't read the prophets. It's boring. Go back and read them now. Because all, they all talk about the people returning to their land, rebuilding their buildings, and yes, even establishing their temple. They're saying that, that right now they're, they're ready to build. They've got it all together. Some of you have heard of the red heifer that has to be offered. They've, they've got it. And some of you never heard of that before. Go Google it. Not now, but Google it later, and you'll, you'll be amazed at what you discover. They're ready. Israel needs to be reestablished. And, and, and it's established, 1948. You know that, that midnight of that, of that day, Israel came under heavy attack. All the nations surrounding Israel, they said, as soon as, soon as, uh, as, soon as, as, soon as we're ready, we're going to attack Israel, and we're going to drive them into the sea. And they were literally surrounded and attacked on all sides. You read the story, it's, it's, it'll blow your mind. You recognize that it is a miracle. And Israel survived. And only survived, but they actually conquered their attackers, and they actually were able to get more land out of the deal. This is the, this is the hand of God at work. And then we see that throughout, the, throughout the, the last 70 years. Every time Israel's attacked, Israel ends up getting more land. Why? Because God makes it clear that he goes before Israel. For those of you who are here today and you think that God hates Israel or that God hates the Jews, or that God has forgotten the Jews, you need to understand something. God loves the Jewish people. He's not finished with them yet. And that's why Israel has been successful. The Hebrew language has been virtually non-existent. I mean, it's, it's been a written language, but we call it a dead language because nobody spoke it. They didn't speak it until October 13, 1881, when Eliezer ben Yehuda decided, hey, you know what? We need to start speaking our ancient language. So he and his friends made a covenant that they would never speak any other language to each other but Hebrew. And so Hebrew was reborn. It just absolutely blows your mind. These people from around the world that spoke their various languages came together in Israel. They began to learn Hebrew. They speak Hebrew. And what was a dead nation is now alive. What is a dead language is now alive. Some of you will remember that on October the 28th, just a few weeks ago, that the Tree of Life synagogue was attacked in Philadelphia. A man who was an avowed anti-Semite. An anti-Semite is somebody who hates Jewish people. He went in with a gun and started killing. The death toll stands at 11. And it's believed that this was the deadliest attack, anti-Semitic attack, in the United States to date. Now, the question is, why, why is God reestablishing his country? And why did God bless the Jewish people? And why are they his chosen people? Well, let me show you a scripture verse that will help you understand that. 
God says to Abraham in Genesis 12, 2 to 3, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Did you get that? God's intention was that the Jewish people would bless the nations. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. By the way, this is exactly what's happening in Israel today. Anybody who attacks Israel, Israel, anyone who treats Israel with contempt, comes under the curse of God. And then God says to Abraham, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. This, is a, this goes back 3,500 years ago when God made this declaration. Some would argue that it goes back even further. But here's what you need to know. God's plan from the beginning was that Israel, that is the, the seed of, of Abraham, would be a light to the nations. In fact, this is what, what Isaiah says, Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 49 verse 6. It says, you will be a light to the Gentiles. What does this mean? It means that through Israel, God will reveal himself to this world. This world is totally ignorant. They don't know who God is, except through God's people. And at that time, God's plan was that he would use Israel to be a light to the nation so that people would get to know who God is and who God was. But there's more to it than that even. It would be through the Jewish people that God would send his son, our savior, to this world. God wanted, wanted us to know the truth, to see the light, and to be saved. This is why you often hear the imagery, see the imagery in the scripture of, of God and truth and, 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 uh, and, and God's people as the light, because we're bringing light into this dark, dark world. So it was through the Jewish people that God brought the Messiah to this world. And in this sense, in this sense, the Jewish people have blessed us. Now I look out over the group here this morning in the first service, and I know there's people from many, many different parts of the world. But here we are all gathered together in Jesus' name. And we can together say, thank you, God, for, for the Jewish people. Because it's through the Jewish people that we have benefited, that we've been blessed. God has given us a Savior through the Jewish people. Paul says in Romans chapter 11 that we owe the Jewish people a great debt, a great debt of gratitude, which I'm going to talk about more in just a few moments. But here's what you and I need to understand. The the children of Israel, Israel, the Jewish people, are God's... Are the, God calls them the apple of his eye, his precious people. Why? Because it's through these people that the Messiah will come. But even more than that, these people are his very own people. Now, those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, that you understand that you too are God's people. Why? Because like Abraham, you have put your faith in God. You have trusted God. And that makes us the children of Abraham. I don't know if you knew that. You've you got to read your Bible. Read Romans. It'll tell you all about it. We are people of faith. We are people who put our faith in the one true God. And, and for that, we owe Israel a great debt of gratitude. Satan looks on at all this, and he says, hold on a minute here. I just can't stand by and let this happen. And so what, what Satan does is he begins an attack on Israel. And, of course, you know that through the ages, Israel has constantly been under attack, and they've tried to destroy Israel over and over and over again. 
because they're God's people through whom God wants to bring light to the world. We see it in Egypt. And you remember how Pharaoh tried to kill off the Jewish people? Remember, he, he, he wanted all the baby boys to be put to death. And Moses' parents wouldn't hear of it. Put him in a little basket. Next thing you know, he's raised in the family of Pharaoh. And the next thing you know, he's leading Israel out of Egypt. God protects his people. And by the way, if you're a Christian today, God protects you. Let that, let that be a reminder to you today. You don't have to be afraid. That's why Jesus says, don't panic. Don't be afraid. He's got this. Everything's going to be okay. Satan has tried to destroy the Jewish people. We see in Esther's reign, the book of Esther is a very interesting book. But it's, it's not considered even theological in the sense that there's, there's no great theology to learn there. But what we find in Esther is a reminder that God wants his people to survive. Haman, some of you know the story, Haman wanted to, to see all of the Jews put to death. In fact, the law had been passed that the, the people in the, in the Persian, the, the Median Persian Empire should put to death all of the Jews and Really, the book of Esther is the miracle of how the Jews survived. And I'm telling you, they would have been wiped out. But God did a miracle. Satan trying to destroy God's people. Jesus, remember when Jesus was born, what does Herod do? Under the, under the inspiration of hell, Satan gets a hold of Herod, and he, and he gets Herod to destroy, to kill off all the babies born in Bethlehem. Remember that? The baby boys. And Jeremiah, by the way, he prophesies that this is going to happen. And, of course, it does happen. But Jesus is rescued because the angel of God comes to his parents and Jesus is whisked away, taken away and protected so that he can do his job. Do you see what Satan is trying to do? He's trying to destroy God's people. And primarily what he's trying to do is he's trying to destroy anybody's chance of salvation because Satan knows that salvation comes through Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Hallelujah. If anybody is sitting here today thinking that there's many paths to God, understand that Jesus declares he's the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. By the way, it's because Christians hold to this truth that we too are hated. If you as a Christian say, all roads lead to Jesus, Satan's going to leave you alone because you're not a threat. But the minute that you say, there's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ, now Satan's got his target on you. And he will try to destroy you. But then we hear Jesus say, don't panic. Be not afraid. I've overcome the world. Now, it's really critical that you understand this. Satan is trying to destroy the Jewish people, and Satan is trying to destroy Christians. Hey, you know what? You can say anything you want against Christians or Jews. You can, you can say the most vile things. You can mock them. You can make fun of them. But boy, if you say anything against a Muslim... You're an Islamophobe. Have you noticed that? Now, please, don't anybody go out of here saying, Pastor Allen gave me permission to attack the... No, no, no. As Christians, we love everybody. I don't care what your religious background. But we still hold to the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. And I'm going to tell you, the whole Scripture supports that. Jesus himself said it. That's the one in whom you have put your faith. You put your faith in the one who said, I'm the only way. And I'm going to tell you, the world hates it when you say that. Satan hates it when you say that. Because if there's a chance that, that, that you can get your focus off of Christ and onto anything else, and Satan's as happy as a clam. 
or something. (laughs) He's happy as can be. Satan wants to destroy God's people, and that includes you and me. So what do we learn then from, from all of this? We know that we know that that God's prophetic clock is is ticking. And we know it because Israel has been established as a nation. It's so important that you understand that. For 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 hundreds of years, there was there's no talk, no thought of Jesus' return. Oh, they talked about it, but but there was no real theological or scriptural support for the idea. But now that Israel has been established, we know that the time is near. The question is, what do we do with this information? If I sent you home right now, I'd be sending you home with half a message because now I've just given you information. You'd say, well, you know, Israel's been established. That's good news. But what do, how does that change my life? How does that affect me? What do I do with that information? When I leave here, what do I do? Well, first of all, let me just talk about Israel for a moment. We as Christians need to support Israel. How many understand that today? You, you may think, you know, oh, Israel rejected God, therefore God hates Israel. You may have, you may have heard that. There's a theology called uh, supersessionism or uh, replacement theology. And the idea is that because Israel rejected Jesus, therefore God rejected the Jewish people. That is a big, fat lie. And you can read about it in Romans chapter 11. Paul says in Romans 11 too, no, God has not rejected his own people whom he chose from the very beginning. Paul's, Paul's basically saying, are you nuts? Of course he hasn't rejected his people. Here's what it says here in Romans 11, 11. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Hey, just stop for a moment. Because some of you are sitting here today thinking, you know, I've stumbled and fall beyond recovery. How many would say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, that your mercy and your great, your great grace does not depend on my perfection? How many understand that you can never be good enough? How many understand today, <laughs> hallelujah, that it's Jesus' goodness that we're relying on? You put your faith in Jesus and his righteousness and his perfection. Hey, when I became a Christian, like, this is what I literally did. Has anybody ever, anybody ever put on overalls? You get or a hazmat suit, you get into that suit, you zip it up, and you're literally covered in clothes. That's really what it means to be a Christian. You are putting on Christ. That's how Paul describes it. You're covered in Jesus. From head to toe, you're covered in Jesus. And so when God looks at you, you know what he sees? Jesus. That's right. That's exactly that's exactly what happens. And so here we are. Uh, did God's did, did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. And you can't either. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. Now, I want you to see that, because up until this point, the focus was on Israel only. And this is what was so hard for the Jewish people at that time. They couldn't accept the fact that God also loved the Gentiles. That just blew their mind. They couldn't get their head around that one. But, but Paul, actually, he calls himself an apostle to the Gentiles. A Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. And in the Jewish mind, the Gentiles... We're all the scum of the earth, and they're all going to hell. The only people who are going to go to heaven, if, if they believe that there was a heaven, it would be the Jewish people. 
But here's what, here's what Paul says through, or God says through Paul. He says, but God wanted his own people to become jealous and to claim it for themselves, to claim the salvation. Here's what we know, folks, and this is pretty amazing stuff. Right now, there is a massive movement amongst the Jewish people returning to Jesus Christ. God is revealing himself and showing himself in, 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 in ways that I can't get into this morning, but you can research it yourself. And not, not just to the Jewish people in the Middle East, but also to the Muslims. And I just talked to a, a Muslim missionary, a missionary to the Muslim people just a few months ago, and I said, hey, you know, we're hearing these stories that, that Muslim people are getting visions of Jesus Christ. And I said, it sounds fantastic in, in, in the sense that it sounds almost beyond belief. I said, is it true? He goes, it's very true. In fact, he's, you know what he said? He said, there's so many people coming to Christ through visions of Jesus Christ. He said, I can't even count them all. I can't even keep track of them. Something is starting to happen in these last days. People are turning to Jesus Christ in record numbers, in ways that, that just boggle the mind. And even the Jewish people, many Jewish people are recognizing that their Messiah has come. And they're starting to recognize that when Jesus appears, that won't be his first coming. It'll be his second coming. Wow. What do we do with this? Well, here's what you and I need to do. You and I need to understand that we have a debt of gratitude that we, may, that we owe to, to the Jewish people. And, uh, and it's for this reason... And, that the Apostle Paul, you, you find this in many of his letters, he's raising money to take back to, to, to Israel, to, to Jerusalem, to support his brothers and sisters who are in need. Why is he doing this? Because he says, we owe the Jewish people a debt of gratitude. And the thing to do is to do what we can to love them and support them. I'm going to talk more about that in just a second. So the first thing we need to know is that, is that God loves Israel, and we must love Israel. That's got to be our reaction to this whole message about Israel being at the very center of the end times discussion. The second thing that we need to understand is that we need to be ready. We need to make sure that our own hearts are right with God. Here's, here's what the apostle Paul said to Timothy. I just want to read this to you from 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be a, a very difficult times where people will love only themselves and their money. Does that sound like 2018? We are living in a day and an age of such incredible love for self and love of money. In fact, uh, it's, I just read an article. Uh, uh, it's almost an epidemic amongst young men called this Adonis complex. And it's a love of, love of the body and trying to develop the body, make it look beautiful. It's almost become like a, uh, like a religion. And of course, I don't have to talk to you about money. People have always loved money. But I'm telling you, folks, I mean, every time you turn the news on, they're talking about money. The Dow's gone up, the Dow's gone down, the S&P, and, and if you're following stocks, I mean, that's, everybody's watching that closely. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. Has anybody heard any, any comedians lately? And, and literally, uh, 
Everybody mocks the church. Everybody mocks Christ. Everybody mocks Christians. The Bible, Scripture, is scoffing at God. They scoff at what we believe. Disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. We just took our, our young people to Banff, and the the, uh, the the conversation was gratitude. Make sure that you say thank you. Um, a number of us leaders took all these kids, and we had a wonderful time with them. But I said, make sure you say thank you. Uh, I, I think I had maybe two or three thank yous, maybe, maybe, out of all that group. We're, n- we're just not a grateful people. I heard lots. I had a lot of complaints. Uh, complaints. I, I could, I could fill a book full of the complaints that I got, but no, no thank yous. Hey, folks, this is a sign. Of, this is a sign of the human condition, and what we're dealing with in these days. Ungrateful, disobedient to their parents. This is a, there's, a, there's something behind that, that disobedience to the parents. Uh, Paul would, would, would know that Timothy understood the big picture here. And here's what, you, what you're going to discover in, in, in Judaism and in Christianity, is this, this idea of authority and people submitting to authority and following leadership and following those who are over you. Not to say that you're less than those who are over you, but understand that there is that there is a process by which God keeps things under control. But God says, in the last days, that's all going to be erased. And kids aren't going to respect any authority. And people aren't going to respect, not just kids, everybody. It's going to just, they're just going to be uh, totally wild and anarchistic. They will consider nothing sacred. Have you seen the cartoons? Have you seen the comedians? I mean, it, uh, they talk about things that are absolutely jaw-dropping. Uh, it's shocking. Uh, the Family Guy. I've never watched a, a full episode. I've watched just a few minutes of it to see what it's about. Homer, uh, Homer and the Simpsons. You know what the thing is? Is that there's some often done just some really funny things that are said, and you think, man, that was brilliant. It was very, very funny. The problem is, is that laced into that humor is 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 blasphemy, extreme blasphemy, and ideas that are contrary to Scripture contrary to the values that we hold dear as Christians. The question is, do you still hold them dear? But the amazing thing about humor, and Satan is so cunning and he's so smart, he knows that he can, he can, he can feed that blasphemy in by making people laugh. And people, Christians will say, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just take the funny parts and I'll ignore the, the bad parts. But the fact is, is it's in your heart. You've already taken it, received it into your heart. Paul says they will be unloving and unforgiving. Oh, the hatred right now, folks. Hatred. Man against woman. Have you seen that? Men against women and, and blacks against whites. Racism, rich against the poor. And it goes on and on. In the first service, I called it tribalism. And someone took exception to that. Um, but I'm going to tell you, that's exactly what it is. If you look at Christianity, you'll see that it is, it is this polar opposite to what the world is. In Christ, there's neither male nor female, neither Gentile nor Jew, neither slave nor free, nor rich nor poor. Let the poor say I'm rich, let the rich say I'm poor. This is Scripture. This is what the church is. The church is the antidote against the spirit of this world. And Satan is a, is, is a, a God, small g God, of division and hatred. And God, capital G, is a God of love and unity. And Jesus says the world will know that you're my disciples. How? By your love for one another. 
But we're living in the last days where we hate each other and there's unforgiveness and we will do whatever we can to bring each other down. They will slander others and have no self-control. No self-control. Folks, have we ever lived in an age where there's been more addictions out of control? We're an addicted, we're an addicted culture, an addicted society. If it's not to drugs or to alcohol, it's to pornography and, and food and all manner of things. Jesus said, that's the last days for you. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will call what's good evil. We'll call evil good. That's all the prophets of Hollywood, also called actors. I'm, I, I, I could care less what an actor thinks about anything. Just act, and that's good enough. I don't care what your opinion is on anything. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They'll reject Christian values. But here's the most frightening part of 2 Timothy 3, 5. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Paul says, stay away from people like that. Hey, folks, this is, this is now what we're facing 2018. We're fa- in many, many churches now, they have completely, they act religious, but they have completely rejected, the, first of all, the person and the work of the Spirit, and they are teaching uh, anything but the gospel. God helping me as your pastor, God helping me, I will, I will endeavor, endeavor to preach the full counsel, the full gospel of Jesus Christ and tell you exactly what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. When you come to church on Sunday morning, you didn't come to hear uh, a lecture on how you can have a better marriage, how you can be better relationship with your kids, or better this, better that, be more successful, see your dreams come true, your visions. Your, what, these things are secondary. What's primary is obedience to Jesus Christ. This is where things start going good for you. You cannot have the abundant life that Jesus spoke about until you first learn what it means to surrender in obedience to Jesus Christ. Amen? This is the last days. Jesus says, stay away from people like that. Now, Jesus says here in Matthew 24, 12 to 13, sin will be rampant everywhere in the last days, and the love of many will grow cold. We're going to go to church. They'll sing the songs. They'll, they'll even lift their hand. Oh, the worship is fantastic. I love the worship. They'll even go on a missions trip. They might put a few bucks in the offering plate because I love orphans. But in terms of, of, of personal transformation where people's hearts and minds have been transformed by the gospel, this is going to be missing. Their love for God is going to grow cold. Their love for people is going to grow cold. Here's what we know, that without Christ, people become increasingly self-centered. You will put yourself first. And I'm going to tell you right now, folks, if you're putting yourself first right now, that is a wake-up call. If you realize that the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now, if you understand, I'm putting myself first, then you need to respond and say, God, forgive me for my sin and help me now, Lord, to put God first and then put others second and put myself last. So what's the takeaway? First of all, you need to understand that God loves Israel and you have to watch what's going on there. If you say, I haven't watched the news, I'm not a news watcher, it depresses me, start watching the news and get excited about what God's doing in the world. Because I'm going to tell you what happens in Israel is the indicator. Here's, 
how many know that when, when I'm preaching a sermon, it's not, I, I preach it for me first, for Alan. Like I, sometimes I listen to my sermon, I just want to sit down and take notes. I'm just so excited about what I'm, what's coming out of my mouth. <laughs> it just, it, it's God. I, I, I'm, the one that, I'm the one that has to learn from that. And here's what God spoke to me. Uh, and I, I haven't had a chance to discuss this with the elders yet, but here's what I'm saying, feeling God saying to, for me as a leader of Cross Church is that we need to start sending support to our brothers and sisters in Israel. And so what we're going to start doing, you know, God willing and elder or elders willing, is we're going to start on a regular basis starting, start to start sending money to, to Israel through Bridges for Peace. And uh, if you want to get, start giving, we're going to start sending money and, and help Israel because that's what the Apostle Paul did. He says, you owe Israel a debt of gratitude. So hand up. Hands out, give us what you can, and, and let's send it on to our brothers and sisters in Israel. So that's something that God said to me, and that's something we can start doing immediately. So if you want to give to Israel, just put BFP on the envelope and the amount, and we'll make sure it gets there. You can go to the giving center and do that. But God spoke strongly to me about that. But here's the second thing that God said to me. I need to be an expert in these last days. When it comes to my theology, I know my theology really well, and probably... You know, I'm not boasting in any way, and, but I would say that I know my theology probably better than the average guy that does what I do. Because I've made it a point to really know my Bible and to know, know, know the theology uh, that has been handed down 2,000 years ago from the apostles. It's been shaped by the church over the, over the uh, centuries. But here's one area that I'm, um, I would say I know it recent, uh, relatively well, but not really well. Uh, and this is the area of eschatology. And I feel that God is speaking to me that I need to really, really dig deep into the whole study of the end times. That's what eschatology is. Now, I don't expect that you do that, but I would recommend that if you've got the time and the energy, that maybe you take some time and study it yourself. Understanding that we are living in the last days and we need to know how to live now and what to do and to start taking seriously the warnings. Why does Jesus give us warnings? For one reason. So that you will be ready. Because here's what Peter reminds us. He says, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come. I hope to God that there's no scoffers here that would say, ah, I've heard this before. I've been hearing this for years. Mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, hey, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? I've heard that many times. Well, Jesus has given us all the warnings, all the signs in Matthew 24. And now we need to be experts in the end times. Like no other generation before us, we need to be experts now. Jesus said, this generation will not pass away. Some say generation is 40 years. Moses, in, in one of his Psalms, says um, that a generation could be 70 years, three score and 10, and if you're really blessed, maybe an extra 10. Is this it, guys? This is the 70th year. Is this it? Is it this year, or is it in the next, sometime in the next 10 years? I don't know. But if you've lived as long as I have, 10 years gone like that. Let's stand together. Father, we want to say thank you for 
for your word. Thank you for all these prophecies that, 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 first of all, make us understand that the scripture is all true. It's all valid. It's all real. It's, it stands up. It stood the test of time. We know, Lord, that at least 80%, maybe more now, of the prophecies given in the, in the scripture have all come true, 80%, and we're waiting now for the last 20%. God, we need, to, we need to know what's going on in this world, and we need to make sure that our own hearts are, are right with you, that we're ready to see the Lord, because you can come at any time. We're going to talk about that next week, being ready. But in the meantime, Father, we pray that you move on our hearts. Make sure that, to help us make sure that our hearts are right with you, that we're ready for Christ's return. And secondly, Lord, help us to understand our obligation to Israel to start supporting our brothers and sisters in that country who are surrounded by enemies that want to kill them all. God, we have an obligation. Help us to honor that obligation. Father, we thank you now that we can go from this place not afraid, not panicking, but joyful that we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And so, God, help us, we pray, to live this life that brings glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name. Everyone say it with me. Tell the person beside